We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van All right, my friends. Welcome back to Insight. And here we go on another audio adventure. Hope your week's been going well. Thank you so much for being with us wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now. As we are joined by the legend himself, Boz Rutten. And what a story he has. And as we dive into it today, it's it's hard not to have an appreciation for the amazing amount of passion that just exudes out of him and also his attention to detail with everything that he does. His new movie is called The Manson Brothers Midnight Zombie Massacre, which he stars in with Randy Couture and bodybuilding legend Mike O'Hearn. It's in theaters and available on video on demand this Friday, September 10th. Give him a follow on social media. He's at MMA on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you're not already, you can follow me. I'm at Chris Van Fleet. I'm guessing you already subscribed to the podcast, but if not, it'd be so incredible if you could subscribe or follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this right now. And if it is Apple Podcasts, please keep those five-star reviews coming on in. I super appreciate them. Let's get right into this. I've been trying to keep these intros as short as possible because there's just so much good stuff here. So please welcome the UFC Hall of Famer, Boz Rutten. Boz, such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. (laughs) I watched the film last night. Man, you are just such a badass. In real life, in the characters you play, it's incredible. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was a fun part, you know. It was not uh, not that crazy. I had, to, I had a few days filming. It was, uh, you know, I come on hanging out with all these guys. It's the best. Have you always been <clears throat> a badass? Like, I feel like in in the public perception of you, this is who you are. But like, who were you as a kid? As a kid, I was a very sick kid. I had a very bad skin disease and I had severe asthma, and so I had to. I was the leper in school. That's what they called me. So. That's where my fighting comes from because they were bullying me all freaking day long until I realized that if I would be like Bruce Lee, <laughs> you know, because I saw a movie, Enter the Dragon from him, but that's it. I changed and start training and then knocked the first bully out. And what do you know? The everything stopped. 95% of the people stopped bullying me. Some poor, some poor bastards who didn't hear about the story, he would come up, but they would go there because now I really want payback, you know. I mean, yeah. seven years of being freaking bullied. You want the heads to roll. Trust me. I feel like we all have those moments in our life that change our lives for the rest of our lives. 
for you, if you hadn't seen a Bruce Lee film, how do you think, you know, do you think you would have gotten into fighting? No, it's, I, 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 no, I, I think <clears throat> uh, if I wouldn't have my diseases, I wouldn't have gone in fighting. That's what mm. I truly believe, you know, mm. because that set me up to start looking. And then I saw this Bruce Lee move. Yeah. So, no, everything happens for a reason. I'm a big believer of that. And, uh, and that just lit a fire under me. And then I found out I was good at it. And it became a profession. It's the weirdest thing. I'm freaking in America right now. I'm from Holland. I moved here like in 97. So, I'm, I'm with so, you. I'm, I'm originally from Canada. And you might recognize from my last name there. That is a Dutch last name. That's for the first thing that I said. I say he's Dutch. Wow. And I say, what do you mean? I say, hopefully that's a Dutch name. <laughs> and thank you for pronouncing it correctly. My goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how you do it in Holland. Is this the same as Bos, Bos, Bos Rutten? That's official. That's how you pronounce it. It doesn't sound as cool as here. Bas Rutten. It's much better. <laughs> how many languages do you speak? You know, five, but it's... it's uh, <laughs> just just no, five, yeah. No, no, because it's, I have to say, I got to be honest. Like, for instance, I, I speak um, Flemish because I used to live at the border, which is a very bad slang from Dutch. And since we live at the border, it's easy for us to understand. I speak Afrikaans because that's all Dutch. So you see the kind of not real because it's very close to my language. But I speak German as well, English, Dutch, and then Afrikaans, which is a very old Dutch, like my grandmother would speak. And then Flemish because we used to live at the border and have this weird slang, but it's easy to understand. So do you think in English now because you've been speaking it for so many years? Yeah, yeah. I started doing that a bunch of years ago, you know, dreaming also in English. And, and that's weird because my wife is from Holland and uh, we, speak, we speak Dutch at home. That's for our kids. It's the worst in school. Dutch, uh, English is always their worst subject because our grammar is the opposite way. We still speak Dutch to the kids sometimes. And they speak English back to us. So it's a, it's a weird house. Wow, that's so funny. So growing up, you know, you're getting into fighting. You're starting to realize you're pretty good at this. When did you realize you could actually make a living at it? Never. I never. I never did. It was. I was just pure luck. I'm telling you, it was. Uh, I was. I was also old of old, 28 years old. That's the, so okay. So I was a striker, a tie boxer. I did a whole bunch of strike tie boxing matches. Then I took a fight. I, I retired for a while uh, because you know I was just knocking people out. And uh, it wasn't interesting for me enough. And then I was one time I was, I didn't train for three years. I was drunk at a party somewhere. And somebody asked me if I wanted to face this new guy or not a new guy, but he came out of prison. He was training in prison, Frank, the animal lotman. And I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, well, he's fighting when he comes out. He needs an opponent. I said, sure, I fight him. I had no clue that I said that. So then weeks of months later, they called me and they said, hey, what do I send the posters to? I said, what posters from the fight? They said, who's fighting? You. I said, am I fighting? He says, yeah, who? And they go, Frank Lopman. I go, the animal. And he goes, yeah. <clears throat> I said, when did I say that? He said, well, on New Year's Eve. I go, and I realized, oh, yeah, I did talk to him. So now I was better holding, I was, wanted, wanted to keep my words. And I said, what is the fight? And it was like three weeks later. And I didn't work out for three, year, for three years. And I was a bouncer. That means five o'clock, the, cl the club closes, then we go party. You know, so I was not living the healthiest style. I should have never taken the fight, but, you know, I'm a man of my word. And, of course, I lost the fight. And at that moment, everybody spit me out in Holland. They forgot about all the other knockouts. Suddenly, I was the worst fighter. And that really got to me. And I go, you know, I'm never going to fight again. And then my, my, my wife in 92, and she was looking at me, and she said, you're going to be a famous fighter in Japan. I said, no, I told you, I'm not going to fight anymore. I don't want to. She says, yes, but she said, for Holland, you're going to go to Japan. And I said, whatever you know it was just a weird comment who would say that yeah and then uh, eight months later they call me and there's a tryout in amsterdam jump in the car right now 
uh, and, and that was for a new organization called Free Fighting. <coughs> and there were some uh, Japanese guys that were looking for new talent. I got in a, <coughs> sorry, I got in a brawl with a guy and knocked him out because he tried to knock me out. And they were pointing at me to say, hey, we want him. And that was it. Two months later, that was in 93, September 93. I was fighting in Japan and that's where it became my profession. Wow. So when you're working <coughs> as a bouncer, I mean, you're pretty much fighting every night anyway. Yeah, in Holland, yes, you do it in Holland much more. Like in Holland, it's it's not as bad as it is. Well, it, it should be the same as here. Like if you knock somebody out, you know, most of that you have to go to the police station. You get a, that's here in America. In Holland, the police cops and they knew us by now. They know me. Like I, I was the bouncer who got chosen because not because I could fight, but because I'm good with people. You know, like from the ten situations that happen. Nine, I will defuse 100% because I'm just talking and I'm just saying what happened. And if you break things down with drunk people, they're going to realize that they, they're fighting for nothing. That's a bullshit reason. They go, yeah, I didn't see like that. So what do you drink? Your beer? Boom. Okay. Cheers. Shake hands. Let's go. You see, so that's why I was a wanted bouncer because I was just really, easy, really good at diffusing fights. You were like the mediator. <laughs> Mediator. That's the title for a movie. Yeah, that will be such. That's, right. <laughs> That's Boz Rutten's next film, The Mediator. Boz Rutten, The Mediator. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think was most influential when you were coming up that really started to make you realize that potential in yourself as a fighter? Um, you know, what are the guys um, that were beating me in the beginning? You know, like a Funaki Mazakatsu was my third match because I was a striker. A punching and a kicker, and I didn't know anything on the ground. I literally, the first year in, in, Japan, in Japan, I fought nine fights. I had no ground experience. So I just trained on the back, pretty much. So when he beat me, okay, I need a submission. I was looking up to that. And then Ken Shamrock beat me by submission. And the last time I lost was against Ken by way of submission. That was the moment I said, okay, I had to going to change my whole fighting style. Or I'm going to quit. It's either, because, I, yes, I might become a champion by knockout, and then the next... I lose the title defense because of the submission again, because I don't learn this game. So I started forcing myself to like it because somehow I didn't like it. I don't didn't think it was manly enough. What it really weird thoughts I had. But then I started re- seeing the capabilities. And then I started realizing, wait a minute. I mean, as a good submission fighter, you're able to, to dislocate any joint in the body and break any bone in the body. I mean, that's a big freaking power to have. And that clicked. And suddenly I, I became obsessed. And I just was... Day and night, two, three times a day, I was working out. I, I would wake up my wife in the middle of the night because I would dream a submission. I would put her in that submission and I would write it down. And I said, your shoulders hurting, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was constantly post-its everywhere. But you know what? Hard work pays off. I, I never lost a fight again after that. I actually, after my last fight, I lost by submission. I won my next eight by way of submission. You see, so I completely changed the whole thing. And like I said, that's when I never lost again. So it's just putting the work in. Well, I think what's so fascinating about your career is you're like a tactician. Like I feel like you're like a almost like a scientist in there. The way that you, you break things down, it's so incredible. Yeah, I think that's that's everything in fighting. I just came back from Spokane. I was teaching a seminar there, and, and it's like these people in the beginning they go like, "What's going on?" I said, "Listen, I'm doing this on purpose. Like everything I do in fighting has a reason. I don't just throw a combination." It is always to read you or to do it, to see your reaction. And then, oh, I follow it up at the same combination. Because most of the time, if I connect with a combination, then I look at the guy, I nod my head, like, here it comes again. And he knows that I'm going to do it again. And most of the time when I do it again, now he's ready for it. Now he's going to block those punches, but then he exposes his body. And that's when I add a few punches to the combination to a different target. You see, And that's how you set up fighters. 
And I've always been like that. I make I try to make things difficult in fighting as well. With me, my class, you have to think, think all the time. You know, just throwing combinations. I'm not into that. It needs to have a reason. With your fighting <clears throat> career coming to an end so quickly, who do you wish that you were able to get in the ring with that you either didn't fight or that you want to fight again? Well, at the time, it was uh, Hicks and Gracie. He was a really good ground fighter. And I saw this documentary of him. And I was mesmerized by his technique, how fast he was. And I just wanted to fight him. He had his brother. Listen, we were young guys. We came up, right? He, UFC, they were the UFC. And they, of course, they start talking some bad things about Pankers, the organization I was in. Yeah, you should do that to me because I'm going to fire back. You know, so that's when the, the rivalry started. But it was never a rivalry. I don't like you guys. It was always the rivalry. You guys are really freaking good. And I would like to see what, what I would do against you. You see, so thankfully Hickson knew that as well because we met a bunch of years ago in China and he came up to my table at breakfast. He said, hey, boss, I go, hey. I said, everything cool. And he said, no, no, I, I, of course, of course. I said, it's just people talking. I said, okay, good that you got it because people always think that we hate each other somehow. But no, oh, mutual respect, trust me. Yeah, what about another match <clears throat> against Ken Shamrock? Do you wish that you had another match with him? Yeah, almost, but he didn't want to take a match. That was after, because when, when I fought Ken, I didn't have... The ground experience. Yeah. And then when I start after this last loss, like I said, I won my next eight fights by submission. I have actually more submission victories than I have knockouts now. You know, so that's I became a completely different fighter. And then when he came to the prize fighting championships, I was the commentator there. And I said, Ken is coming. Yeah. I said, I come out of retirement. I want to fight him. Tell him. And uh, and he said, Now we already did that. There's no uh, there's no need to do it again. So unfortunately, I didn't have the chance. Well, with the time you spent in pro wrestling, I feel like there could have been some <laughs> sort of a match there. Boz Rutten, Ken Shamrock, in some sort of wrestling organization. It, they would have, you know, and especially I would have loved in, in Japan because in Japan, the pro wrestling is, it, they call it the hard style, strong style, yeah. which is the same as mixed martial arts. Like here, you do pro wrestling and they grab an arm like this and apparently that's hurting you, you know, and ah, screaming. In, in, in Japan, it's not. It's all real moves. So for a mixed martial artist to do pro wrestling in Japan, it's much easier then to learn all these things that they do over here, uh, which which are not real fighting, you know, you would never use that in real fighting. So yeah. if it's close to real fighting, it's much easier, of course, to do. Well, your character in this film, this film, this film was so much fun. The Manson Brothers Midnight Zombie Massacre. How much of that were, you know, you're playing a pro wrestler here. You were a pro wrestler. Is it just like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'll just slide right into this character, <laughs> super easy. Yeah, that's it. That's literally it, you know, and uh, and it's always, that's why they call me Dutch, you know, it's, uh, I'm a Dutch guy, so that right away takes care of the accent that I have, so people start saying, so okay, now they know immediately, so, and like you said, yes, it was real fighting already, uh, pro wrestling, and this is very close to what we were doing, so uh, yeah, there was almost no character change at all there. When you started getting into acting, was there anyone that came along and said, Boz, you're awesome. You've got the great look. We need you to work on your accent. Was that ever a conversation? No, no. And if somebody would say it would be good. Listen, if I, if I study it, if I study the lines, I get rid of it. You know, if I really want to. But I, there's a lot of ad-libbing as well. And, and, the, and my grammar is just backwards because I still speak, speak a lot of Dutch at home here also. Yeah. So, no, it was never a problem. I did try to a lot to, to fix it. Like in Holland, they would say, I think or I think instead of think, you know, like those things. Once I started getting rid of those, that cleaned up a lot already. But, you know, if I'm just shooting in my mode, yeah, you will hear that I'm, I'm not from America. But uh, like I said, if I really study the script and they tell me, okay, stay by line by line, I think I can hide it. 
But maybe you don't need to hide it though. And maybe that's part of it. Like I remember in a, in a very famous interview that Arnold Schwarzenegger did, he said he was yeah. taking accent lessons to get rid of his accent, but still keep his accent, but just yeah. so people could understand him better. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's the same. I would, when they would say it, I say, what about Jackie Chan? And what about Jean-Claude Van Damme? And what about these guys? You know, I mean, just write my character as a character from Holland. Boom. Problem is fixed. It's one line in the script. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all taken care of. Other than Jackie Chan, who were some of the actors that you looked up to growing up? Oh, well, Bruce Lee, of course, he was my man because he changed my life. That was when I, I was 12 when I saw Enter the Dragon. And that's when I realized that if I'm like him, that bullying will stop. Yeah. So he put me on the path, you know, it took me two years to convince my parents to do martial arts because they always thought it was violence. And, and I started training. I was taken under the wing by an older guy who was dating one of my beautiful neighbor girls. They were older. They were like 22. And I was, yeah, 14. And he took me out of the wing and I was training with the adults. And from there, it just went really fast. I started dropping adults pretty fast, like in months. And then I heard these guys talk great about me in the dressing room. You know, and you have to understand, I was the kid that got bullied, skin disease, gloves, have to wear gloves, turtlenecks, long sleeves, because I got, you know, and, and, and you know, they only talk bad stuff about you. But once start, adults start talking good stuff, yeah. you tend to listen to the adults. And then I realized, oh, I'm better than I think I am. Yeah. And that led me to the biggest bully fight in my school and it was one punch it was so weird there was literally challenged me and i just hit knocked him out that was it and but he broke his nose in the process so that meant the police showed up because normally that wouldn't but since his nose had to be fixed and that was confirmation for my mom and dad of course that it was violence yeah. uh, and they took me off right away but in, in their defense i have to also say i never told them i was bullied because my mother had an enormous amount of work with me. I mean, every night I needed to get mummified. You know, we had family members sending in old bed sheets that they would rip, she would rip to bandages and would creams on me. And in the middle of the night, it was itching so bad, it would rip it off. And then she would come again and do it again. So she's been a, a lot on my bad side helping me with that. And I didn't want to be another bother by saying, hey, I'm getting bullied in school. Yeah. Well, I imagine that things have changed a lot over the years, but what do you say to a kid that's being bullied now what, what should they do you know it's it, get an adult you know that's what i always say because some of them they don't have the physical capabilities to do it um but i always say it, it's it's just a period it's, it's just a four-year period these people are just dumb and <clears throat> something happened to them <clears throat> because a normal person is not a bully you know something you're, there's something wrong with you if you're a bully you know it's an ego thing it's whatever it is something happens at home maybe the father is like that to to his uh, brothers and sisters to him to his wife whatever it is there is a reason that they act like that because you know and, and kids also that you know we're kids we say stupid stuff yeah. you know you don't you have no clue how much things hurt by saying it there are things that they told me when i was 12 that people still should watch out now saying that to me. I will literally say, don't repeat that anymore. And what do you mean? I said, nah, it brings back memories. And I know this is going to be healthy for you. You know, we're going to stop. This is 40 freaking years ago, longer. And it's still in there, you know? That's why with the school shootings and all that stuff, you know, I can understand these guys. Oh, so, you, no, I'm not okay with it. Of course I'm not okay with it. Yeah. But I remember a bad uh, an incident. I was watching a, a, a Tarzan movie and I got into a fight at the street yard with a bunch of, uh, a schoolyard with a bunch of guys, and there, was a, uh, there were trees there, and there was broad branches hanging down. And I saw just like Zorro, whoever did it, he grabbed the branch and he swung over, and he stomped them in his chest, and somehow in my mind, that will work for this particular situation. 
<laughs> so I jumped up to the link and it broke and I fell on my back and everybody's laughing. You know, now this is after being bullied for six years already. And I, we lived about 200 yards from that school and I'm sprinting home. And I remember grabbing the biggest kitchen knife and I start sprinting back. And thankfully, because till this day, I have no clue what I would have done. Uh, my mother saw me running with the knife uh, to, to the front window yeah, and she started yeah. chasing me and she was able to stop me at the right time. And, but that was, that was the drop that made the bucket flow, so to say. And I don't know, I might've stabbed him. I don't know. I was just in such a rage at that moment. Yeah. So yeah, I always feel bad for these kids, you know, because you know, also after it happened, oh, you killed somebody. It's, I mean, try to go through life for that. I said, oh, you got to lock him up. I said, well, if it's a decent person, that, that's a life sentence, just walking around on the street. I couldn't live with it. You know, it's like being drunk and killing kids. Yeah. You know, good luck with living like that. You know, so it's, yeah, emotions, man, emotions, they need to be controlled. And it's, uh, we were just talking about it. I was walking my dog and they said, I said, there's about five times in your life you, you can be angry or less. You know, that's that you real that's when somebody attacks the family or does something to a loved one where you really have to get angry and get in there. But for the rest, anger should never be an option. It shouldn't because once it moves your emotions, you don't think clearly anymore and you make mistakes. That's what happens to people. That's why they kill people. They're just getting crazy. Yeah. When do you think you started to get control of your emotions like that? Because when you're younger and you're being bullied, it's easy to just lash out. Yeah, that took a long time. Listen, I came back to the faith about seven years ago, and then I started learning about it. And and but I have some really good theologians who who, who and then and then one day go over where the senses start, and and you know if you can control your senses, that's the whole trick. You know, the seeing, hearing, thing, all that stuff. Once you can control that, that's where you can start controlling your emotions. But don't get me wrong, man. I the one the last time I exploded was uh, and I, I do things to my I like hit a table like I'm a freaking twelve year old kid and break my hand, and I go like. What is wrong with you? Just be, really, you can't be that angry, you know. But and it's like, boom! And I go, gosh, what did I do? So it, it's an explosion for a second, but of course, in that second, something goes wrong. Yeah. So I, I think fighting helped me a lot. Also, when I was uh, 28 in Japan, that's when I real my fighting came together, and I became very. I knew everything. I heard the corner speaker telling him the instructions, and I, I mean, it was like almost slow motion, and that really calmed me down fighting that wasn't so hard to stop because it was that i have that ADHD, adhd yeah so it's very hard for me to stop my mind but in fighting and in training it was always calm because you have to focus you know so once they take that away yeah you're going to start doing stuff that takes that away and that is drinking drugs you know that's what you see a lot of athletes professional athletes once they quit and there's not the high anymore from knocking a person out in front of 15,000 people, you know, which is a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. You know, you try to replace that feeling. And most of the time that goes with the wrong things. Yeah. I'm so curious about someone like you. If UFC or MMA was a big thing as you were growing up, I feel like you would have had a career path. You would have gone, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. And your career path would have looked completely different than your current one. Yeah, this is all by accident. This all planned. That's why I'm thinking. I'm, I'm literally, it's literally planned out for me. The reason, the way it got, I mean, everything. When I look back on my career, the wins that I have, the thoughts I had, this, you know, it's like there's, there's got to be a higher power here. I mean, it's so weird that everything just started falling together. Uh, yeah, it's, it blows my mind still till this day. Yesterday, I was walking the dog, and this woman, she's talking with me for weeks, and she goes, "Oh my God!" I go, "What?" She says. Man, this uh, Chris, he showed me yesterday the videos. I had no clue you were a fighter. You're such a nice guy. I go, 
Yeah, but fighters are nice guys. What are you thinking? That I'm a crazy. You think that fighters like to solve problems with fighting? No, because they don't get paid for that crap. <laughs> you know? I don't I'm anti-violence, actually, you know, but don't get me wrong. If it's a bad person, who's gonna get it? And that's probably still stems for me being bullied. You know, if I see injustice, I don't care. Could be 12 guys against one, I'll go in. I can't stop it. And, and I had situations when I just walked there and I'm literally telling myself, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? And I can't stop it. I just got to go. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, they will see that you're full of confidence and then you will diffuse the situation. And on top of that, like I said, I'm really good with talking, breaking things down. And then they realize that people when they honk their horns, you know, I get out of the car and I'm walking to them with my hands up. I say, was that so really necessary now? I say, what do you mean? I say, I, like one second it was green and you have to hold the horn for five whole seconds. I'm just, I'm just asking you, is that really necessary? And he, they, they look at you and he goes, yeah, that was stupid. I said, that's the only thing I want to say, man. Just relax, take a breath. Why would you get so angry for a second of waiting? You never make that mistake. Wow. I mean, I thought there were only like two people like Mary and Joseph, or Jesus who never made a mistake, but apparently please shake my hand. You're the third guy. <laughs> if I honked my horn and Boz Rutten came out of the car in front of me, I would be terrified. Yeah. You know, I had a really, really funny situation. My daughter came over from Holland. She's older. She's with my grandson. She has a grandson also, my grandson. And uh, and we were sitting in the car and it was warm and all the windows were down and my kids were in the car. She was in the car with her boyfriend. And uh, I'm making a turn. And, and some guy thought that he had to ride away while he had three legs for himself. And he, somehow he gets angry. And he goes... <laughs> He's come speeding next to us and he's looking and he's literally and we are freaking dying. They go, Oh shit, boss Rutten, he said. And then he hit the brakes and he was all the way back. And we're looking at each other and we go, Oh, this is the funniest thing ever. You see, that diffused really fast. So that, that was that was kind of cool. How much do you think the fight game has changed or is changing with what we've seen over the last year with guys like Jake and Logan Paul? I think it's good. You know, I think it's now, now fighters know there's big money to be made, you know, and hopefully they're going to put their foot, uh, feet down, you know, especially if you're a good fighter. Look what McGregor did, right? Yeah. He's, uh, I mean, and they had to pay him because they know he's going to bring in so many people. They had to. So once you have that, you know, Patty the Batty right now, this new kid at the UFC that fought like a couple of days ago, that's another guy like that. He looks with the the beetle haircut he has. You know, he's got the great look, no tattoos, no nothing. He's a very happy guy when he comes to fight. And boy, he can fight. You know, and that together with the things that he says, I think that could be the next breakout star, you know. Hopefully he keeps his head clear, which I truly believe because he has, I looked at his path. He's very methodically over like six, seven years he's been fighting and doing very well. So, but guys like that, yeah, they're going to have a lot of pull because they understand the, the promoter understand people will come for him and buy pay-per-views for him and they will know. So this either, Oh, I go somewhere else. I'm not going to fight, you know? So now you're going to force them into paying you more money. Well, it's a business, right? And I think that for as much as people hate Logan and Jake Paul, you also want to see them fight because maybe you're hoping to get their ass kicked. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm, I have such a huge respect for those guys. Yeah, I mean, look too. what they did. The YouTube stars decided to go boxing. They're really not bad at all. And they really commit to the sports. It's not like they go, oh, but they're drinking beer, partying, and then they're training. No, they 100% commit. And I have the utmost respect for that. And, and if you look at the, was it Logan Paul, uh, the last one? 
uh, Jake Paul. That was Jake Paul. You yeah, know? with Tyron. And he, yeah, and he was talking about the fact that he he said I was a bully. You know, after, after the fight, he says, and, and, and don't be a bully. He said, but I was one, and I'm happy that boxing pulled me out of that because then I realized, oh, I'm not the badass. There's way more badasses out there. So I think guys who've been in that position, everybody knew they were a bully, and then they flip them around. That's when you change minds, man. That's when you change other bullies into becoming just a decent person. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know, you talk about being so great at talking. This is why you're such a good commentator. Was this just like, did you even have to do any sort of like training or was it just like training on the job? You know, how I got the job, that was the funniest thing ever. So it was in 1999 or in 2000. It was just before the prize fighting championships. The the tournament would be broadcasted to the States. And I was there with Mark Kerr and a few other fighters. And I was the trainer. And so we're in the dressing room waiting. Kerr was always the main event. So we're watching the TV of the fights that goes on, are now going on at that moment. And we have some people from the prize fighting championships sitting there and say, oh, he's going to get him in an arm bar. And they're looking and they go like, what do you mean? There's nothing going on. I said, I'll give it 10 seconds. And then 10 seconds later, boom, the guy's in an armbar. And, and they go, like, how did you know? I go, well, you can see the setup. I see him, you know, move a certain way that, you know, will lead to the armbar. And then the next fight, it happened again with a knee bar. which is a leg lock, same as an armbar, but on a leg. Yeah. And I said, oh, he's going to roll into a knee bar. Watch this. This is because he's known for that. And he goes, yeah, but he's not doing anything. I said, just give it 10 seconds. And sure enough, he rolled in. And that was it. They came to me. They, they said, did you ever think about commentating? I said, no. He said, you want to be a commentator on the next show? Because uh, the next event, we're going to go live to the States. I said, sure. Now, to tell you how, how green I was, <clears throat> I had no clue we had to wear a suit. 
I never looked at commentators. I'm such an idiot at that times, you know. I just focus on my stuff. Sure. So I'm standing there in my shorts, my flip-flops, and a Hawaiian shirt at the bus to go to the event. And they say, well, where's the suit? I go, what suit? And they started laughing. They thought I was joking. <clears throat> I said, nobody told me to bring a suit. I said, I, I thought it was just my voice. You're going to hear. No, you got to do the opening. And then I realized, oh, of course, we see always the openings of the show as well. What an idiot. Yeah. You know, but that was me at the time. I just didn't think straight. Uh, but what happened because of that, we had to find a way to still incorporate me with my freaking Hawaiian shirt on. How are we going to do that? And thankfully, we had a really good uh, producer at the time, Michael Braverman. And he says, we're going to make you skit out of it. You're going to sit backstage. We put like six geishas around you. They're fanning you down. They're feeding you grapes. So you're telling war stories. I was fighting these 12 guys in the street, not that guy, you know, like, and then the person inside with the suit, he says, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're at the Pride Fighting Championship, blah, 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 blah. So he got my, back, my partner's backstage getting a little treatment there. He says, let's go to him and see what he thinks. And they go, oh, hey, Stephen, how are you doing? Ladies and ladies, one moment. And then uh, we'll do this whole spiel about the fight and I'll send it back to him. Now that suddenly became, that became a hit. Like people go, oh, that was a great opening. So now you see things happen by accident. And then suddenly it became this big thing. Every opening from the Pride Fighting Championship was a little movie clip. It was a little skit that we would do, but it was born because out of necessity, because I didn't bring a suit. Oh my gosh. That is a fantastic story. Yeah. yeah I mean, you've taken to commentating so well, you're incredible at it. And I feel like you've done the same thing with acting and you talk about like, putting a commitment into it. I feel like that's what you do with acting. You put like you put yourself into these roles. Uh, with everything you've accomplished in fighting, what are your goals that you have in acting? I mean, you've done everything you ever want to do in fighting. Now, what are your goals in acting? I would love to, you know, I'm focusing on a thing. I was, like I said, an asthma patient and I came up with an invention for your lungs. Uh, to train your lungs, that's what I thought at the time. It's actually your breathing muscles doing it for you when I was 14. And I made that product about 10 years ago. And about four years ago, it started cutting attention because I, my, my chest expansion was like I blew all the records. And, and these lung experts, they go, like, how is this possible? And they found out it was the device that I used. So now they put it in their books. So now I put pulmonologists started buying a COPD people for COPD and asthma patients. My asthma was cured within three weeks. I had to carry an inhaler with me everywhere I went, always in my pocket, because if I would sneeze violently, then my asthma would trigger and I needed to open it up. Before every single fight, I had an inhaler. I don't even have an inhaler anymore. It's completely gone. And I said it to my friend in Holland, who has asthma. Eight days later, calls me. He's selling him now in Holland. His asthma is gone. And I would say, okay, we're on to something here. This is really good. And then, you know, all these tests started coming. You see, and again, this is something that was born out of, out of a defect that I had. Yeah. And, and so it gave me an idea to breathe with resistance. It would be good. And boom, that thing was born. And now we're here. So right now I'm focusing on that. We're in the middle of it. We had a freaking nightmare year because I ordered a new model. We were sold out. I ordered a new model, invested a lot of money. And I ordered it in August 2020. And it's still not ready. All the COVID has been, and we're sold out for seven months now. We, we're losing a lot of money. And then hopefully tomorrow I'm going to pick up a mold because I made a backup plan. And thankfully, and that backup plan is actually now the one that's going to hit first. So this week it should be ready. And then I can finally start selling. Now, once I do that and we're going, that's when I start looking at acting again and uh, for other jobs. There's going to be people watching this that are going to go, I have asthma and I would love to do what Boz is talking about. <laughs> so how can they find your product? 
Go to o2trader.com or go to Facebook and it's called Boss Rutten's O2 Bootcamp. You have like 5,000 members there and many of those are using it. And you just put a question out there. Hey, does this work for my COPD? I don't even have to answer. People go, boom, yeah, don't use it anymore at all. Everybody who's using it every day takes four minutes a day. They either get 70 or 80% or completely rid of their asthma and COPD. That's actually my commercial. If it's not 70% or more gone, in a month, in one month, I'll give you your money back. That's how, how convinced I am how it works. Oh, if, can you still use it if you don't have asthma or breathing? Oh, yeah, because for stamina, like yeah. I was breathing, well, not me. Yeah, I was breathing, but 95% of the people breathe wrong, incorrect. They're using shoulder raises. That all stems from when you were a little baby, and it starts around six, seven years of age, because that's when you look at the Barbie and Kendalls and the, and the, the freaking Avengers and all these guys, and they look ripped. And then before we breathe through our, we have to, we breathe like we have to breathe using our core. But you know, once you start doing that, people might think you're fat. So they start breathing chest breathing. That's why everybody changed their breathing into chest, uh, chest breathing. Now, four to six of these breaths are the same as one belly breath. So when I was competing in Japan, I had these videos on the website. You can see it. <laughs> you see me doing breathing like this. And that is completely gone with me. Like I work circles around my 24 year old students. I'm 56 and I train stamina maybe once a week. And they go, how is this possible? I say, I'm telling you, use the freaking thing. I'm telling you all the time because that has to be the reason. Otherwise it's impossible. So it does great for everything. Back problems, PTSD, anxiety. I mean, back problems, back problems. Yeah. Apparently because good breathing aligns your spine. That's apparently a normal thing. I had no clue, you know? So now we're helping so many people with the simple little device if you look at it it says no way but it does wonders for you we're gonna see you on shark tank in no time <laughs> yeah 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 well right now because we were selling the crap out of them and now with the books everything and i have a, a famous pulmonologist is going to buy it and that will all come out once they're ready so hopefully this week when they're ready then i will bring the pulmonologist and this guy has thousands of people online <clears throat> that are all going to be treated with the o2 trainer so back to the acting here, when that ends up becoming a thing, how do you get into character and how do you learn your lines? What are, what are the keys for you? Learning lines for me, is, it's a hard because I don't have a memory like everybody else has. But, you know, like for instance, now I have a talk coming up, two talks, two 45-minute talks. So that for the last three weeks, I've been doing these talks two, three times a day. That's a lot of time. It's three times one and a half hour a day. You're going to go, 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 go. You got to just grind it in. But the thing with me is once it's in there, it's, that's it. You know, it doesn't come out. I'm, I'm really good once I have it. It takes more work than other people. You know, I have friends who are photographic memory or been actors since they were 14 years, like Holt McKellany, the lead actor from Mindhunter from that show on Netflix. Yeah. He's a very close friend of mine. I, it's ridiculous because sometimes I use him to, to make a tape for an audition and I go in eight pages of script and he literally reads it twice. And then he gives me the script back and he's got it. I go, yeah, see, I can't do that. For me, I wow. I need to work. I need to work. And uh, yeah. so it's a lot of memorization, but I do this every day. You know, every morning I pick a passage from something and I memorize that. I memorize that. So I try to keep my mind busy the whole time. And uh, so you get used to it. But yeah. that is the most important because once your lines are hammered in there, you can completely focus on the whole character, you know, because otherwise you're still thinking that some of these actors, you see them literally, you see them literally while they're talking, thinking what the next line is. You see, so that's the trick, but it takes a lot of hard work. That's why I like movies a lot because six weeks before you already have the script, 
oh, I can dream it in six weeks. Trust me, because I'm going to rip the crap out of it. This is, and then you can do different car- character developments. You can play like this, the hothead, or maybe a little middle in the middle, maybe uh, too soft. You know, like I gave him three varieties. And I say, you yeah. pick which one you want. But that's only possible if you know your lines inside out. I'm a big pro wrestling fan. I've had a lot of pro wrestlers on the show. And I want to talk to you about Samoa Joe, because I know you've trained with Samoa Joe. No, that's the thing. Yeah, that's on the, on the Wikipedia. That's not right? No, I, you know, I don't. Okay, that's we need to that. correct this, everybody. Yeah, and also, I, I don't have a black belt in judo. That's apparently also on there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. well, we need to correct Wikipedia then. Yes. No, no, we have to. We have to. Listen, I did that too. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, you, you would think, you would update it. You know, the thing is, I can't change it. You know, I just have to go in. Apparently, you can, but you have to verify it's you who actually doing it and take it off. Samoa Joe, I already took it a few times off. But every time somebody else puts it on, I guess, I don't know. Wow. Well, look, Samoa Joe is an incredible fighter, an incredible wrestler. He'd be even that much better if it was true that he did, in fact, train with you. That would be something. That would be something, you know, because I can change people really fast. You know, there's a few gifts I have. I, I can I can fight. I know that. But I think I'm a really good coach as well. I can see a lot of things that I can fix immediately by looking at somebody. And uh, I have, I really enjoy that because I can help a lot of people with it. But everything is, people don't understand. When I was, when I'm obsessed, like I said, I'm obsessed. Yeah. You know, it's the only thing I do all day long. And it's because once you love something, you do it a lot. Once you do it a lot, guess what? You become good, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, breaking things down, man. I love it. What are you obsessed with right now that we would never guess that you're obsessed with? Mm. I don't know. A lot of people look at me weird. I'm telling them I'm a very devout Catholic. You go like, what the heck? But you know, of course, there's a backstory. I've been attacked by a spirit. I've seen a curtain ring flood in my face, fly up against the ceiling uh, with nobody there. I've seen the person walk. I've been, yeah, like I said, physically attacked. Yeah, no, very freaking scary. And, um, and, and, and then also we came to this house the first night we slept there. And, um, and my daughter was sleeping upstairs. And the next day, I'm asking my kids, how was the first night here? My daughter says, it was fun, but I had some visits from two boys. And they go, whoa, 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 back up. I said, what do you mean spirits then, right? She goes, yeah. I said, you're not freaking out. She says, no, no. Yeah, just want, kept, wants to keep on playing. But I said, hey, I want to go to sleep. And they were very nice. So let me go. I said, well, two boys. Yeah, how old? I don't know, 16, 17 years old. And I'm looking at my wife. I go, this is crazy. So I walk down. I take the computer and I type in something ever happened close to my house. And in 2001, four kids on Christmas, poor parents, they drove, three boys and one girl drove through the wall here. So I'm walking outside. You can see where they drove through the wall. And two boys, 16 years old, passed away. Wow. You know, so now I realize that together with the curtains flying up in front of me and with, with the physical attacks, I go, okay, there's more to this whole thing that we can see with our eyes. You know, I mean, I've been physically feeling it and seeing things that are inexplainable. So that that uh, kind of got me back because I said, okay, if that is real, then heaven's going to be real. And if heaven's going to be real, I like to go there. So let's change my lifestyle and become a different guy. And never that I was never a bad person, but there's a lot of other things that you can still work on just to be a good person. And you know what the fun part is? As soon as you say something like that, I I had my fan base on, on Facebook uh, grew 5,000 people a week at that time. Every week, every month, 20,000 more for years. Get on, you know, 
And uh, as soon as I came out with the fate story, it completely stopped for like a year and a half. <laughs> you go like that. You try to do something good and apparently wow. people don't want to follow you anymore. <laughs> this is how, how people are, you know. It's very weird. As we wrap this up, Boz, what does your morning routine look like? You are in phenomenal shape. You know, I have this big routine. I'll, I'll do everything. And it's, it's meditation, it's prayers, it's stretching. It's every, like the first hour and a half, it's all... It's all me, 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 me. The phones are off every, every day, day, no matter what? Every single day, no matter what, no matter where I am. I never break a habit. I'm really good with building a habit and don't break a habit. I'm the guy who at 4 o'clock at night walks you through the, drives you through the neighborhood who's using a stern signal. I don't break the habit. That's what I'm doing. Nobody's there. I don't need to do it. I don't do it. Yeah. You know, because once you start doing those things, you start doing it with other things, and then everything starts falling together. So especially with my ADHD, I need a focus and I need a habit. So my... But, Stretching. I'm last time I was with Karate Combat, I'm with uh, that's a show I, I, uh, yeah, with Robin Black, my friend Robin Black. Oh, there you go. Yeah. George Torontonian. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a funny guy. That guy, he's great. And uh, and I was stretching and I'm falling in splits. And I'm, I'm George goes, like, How, how do, you do, do you do that? I said, Oh, I've been doing it for seven years every single day. How many times you missed? Never, <laughs> you know, because you know, if I if I miss it, it's because of an injury that I can't stretch. But you see, there's again, there's a habit, you know, and it's a constant focus. And it's a good thing for a body to wake up in the morning, to be completely clear. Don't look at your phone if you want to do this. If you want to meditate, don't look at a text message. It's going to be completely ruined. Don't look at your phone. Turn it off the freaking thing. You don't need it. Just focus for one and a half hour on yourself. And what I do, I go uh, I go to the park. Most of the time, I'm already trained. So when I wake up around 5.30, I think around 9.30, the phone goes on. And the amount of work that I did at that time, it's just insane. I mean, walking the dog, I might have gone to mass. I actually, also, I, I worked out, I do stretching, I do meditation, I do everything. You know, so, and it's a good time for you to wake up like that because you need time on yourself. We don't have time for ourselves anymore, which and you're the most important person for you. Yeah. You know, I always say that you can't lie to yourself, you know, yeah. because every time you let yourself down, you get weaker. Right. That's why the vice is a virtue is what they're talking about. You know, if you decide to be a drunk every, every morning, when I had this, at least 150 times you wake up in the morning, you're with a hangover. Today, I'm not going to drink. But then later that night, you know, you hit the snooze button, I always say, and then you do, I do it tomorrow, you know, and that's going on for years, you know. So if you need a routine to break those bad habits and change them into a good habit, you see, now you're working on your life. But nowadays, everybody wants to take pills for everything. You want to lose weight, pop a pill. I want to be relaxed, pop a pill. I want to be relaxed, take a drink. I want to, I have heartburn. No, what about changing your eating habits, dude? What if I wait for heartburn pills, high cholesterol, high blood pressure? No, just changing you. And you know what? I was exactly that guy eight years ago. Exactly that guy. But then once I start focusing on everything, I'm completely medication-free. I don't take anything and everything is normal. It's just training and it's just eating the right food. It's very simple, yeah. but you have to do it. And I have to also say, I'm really good with, I, if something doesn't taste right, but it's really good for me, I, I just eat it every day. I can eat for years. I eat oatmeal in the morning, you know, and now I found out that oatmeal actually encapsules some sort of vitamins that you're doing and then the vitamins don't work. So I stopped with that and now I start doing sweet potatoes. Well, I eat a pan of sweet potatoes, completely full. That's my breakfast. People eat so much. I can eat 10 slices of bread before I go to sleep, you know, because then I, at least I don't wake up. 
<laughs> you know, because I burn like a freaking maniac. So yeah, healthy food, man, and working out, very simple combination. Yeah. <laughs> it works. One of my routines, the start and end of every day is gratitude. And Boz, I end every interview talking about gratitude. And so I want to thank you for this amazing conversation. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you. You're the man. So the question I ask at the end of every single interview is, what are three things that you're grateful for in your life right now? Um, well, you know, of course, for my family, is that everybody's healthy. I mean, health is everything. And you realize that as soon as somebody gets sick, uh, my ex-wife's mother just passed away uh, from cancer. We had a really good, we're, we're very close still. So it's very hard. And then you realize, well, you can have a great family, but somebody goes, you know, it's a hard thing. So yeah, health. Yeah. I think it's everything. I think money is not. I uh, I believe just having enough to be to be um, uh, comfortable. So you, you you know I don't need the Porsches. I don't need all that bullcrap. I did. You know it's such a waste. All that stuff. You start thinking, going back. You go, why did I do that? But you're young. You know you did. It. And I enjoyed it at the time. So there's nothing wrong with it. But you know if you don't really have the money to do that, well you do. But I mean, you can spend it on so much better. It's not like I make that twenty billion dollars. No, it's not like that. Uh, not a million dollars. So, so why would I drive a car like that? Stuff like that. You once you start seeing those things that we we confuse happiness with pleasure. That's what we're doing, and it's not the same. So we think our latest phone is going to give us a lot of happiness. It won't. It gives you a lot of pleasure. And then the new model comes out. You want that again. I stopped doing that as well. No more updates on my phone. No more newest phone. No more, you know, all that stuff. I just let go because it's so useless. Whatever doesn't make you smarter, mentally stronger, you shouldn't do. It's very simple. And this is not going to make me smarter or whatever it does. A car doesn't do it. Nothing. It's, it's useless, you know, work on, on yourself, you know, work on helping people. I think that's the secret of life. So, and then for the rest, for the rest, I, assumption, I, I really try to assuming is a bad thing. I always say, stay away from assumption because 95% of what we think is wrong all the time, you know, uh, and we assume we know certain situations and, and that goes, everything goes wrong. It's like coming up with an invention. And if you assume that that's a great invention, well, maybe you should shop it around before you start making it. Yeah. Right. Because in your head, well, look at uh, America's Got Talent and American Idol and all these guys. They believe they're really good singers and some of them. Right. But yeah. they think they are. You see, so they assume they are. You're not. You know, so make sure before you put a product and a lot of money into something that your assumption is actually correct. Otherwise, you're going to lose a lot. Yeah. I mean, one of the books that changed my life is The Four Agreements. And one of them. Oh, there we go. Yeah. That's assumptions. a good one. Yeah. They're talking about it. Yeah. yeah. Boz, thank you so much. The Manson Brothers Midnight Zombie Massacre is in theaters and video on demand on Friday. Again, thank you for this amazing conversation. You're very welcome, my friend. OSU, that's what we say. And for the people at home, it's OSU. It's not OSS. OS. No, it's OSU. OSU comes from two words, Japanese words. Oshi means push, and Shinobu means endure. Shinobu, Oshi, put that together as OSU. And that's from now on, you're going to get OSU to, to, to endure. Look at that. <laughs> Thanks, Boz. You're welcome, brother. Godspeed. Love that guy. Thanks again to Boz for spending some time with us today. Huge thanks to you for being on this journey with us and for making us a part of your day today. And for a lot of you for making us a part of your day every single day as you listen to every new episode or maybe as you're diving into that back catalog of over 250 episodes of Insight that we have there. 
Again, Boz's new movie is called The Manson Brothers Midnight Zombie Massacre. It's in theaters and available on video on demand this Friday, September 10th. And as he was talking there at the end, this quote came to mind that I will leave you with now. It's been attributed to many different people. So I will just give you the quote. How you do anything is how you do everything. Be great, be grateful, and we will see you on the next one for some more insight. Woo! Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.